This is part two of a conversation with Amaya Harrison and Coral Martin. Part one is available to listen and can be found wherever you are right now, having just found part two. You did mention um, in your factoid sheet, you mentioned that you had also kind of this experience of moving around, changing your idea about what you wanted to study when you're in school. And I'm just curious to hear a little bit about, about your experience with that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really, I was like, okay, I've, I've been involved in, you know, around artists and like art and stuff. And I just like, okay, college is a time to explore and like, figure out what you want to do in life. And, you know, all that, all that spiel. (laughs) And so I, um, I thought about being in psychology. My mom was in psychology. Um, That still is really interesting to me. Um, And then I dabbled in like, um, being a humanities major. Um, and then I finally landed on, I was like, um, I think after I took all my core classes, I was like, what, I think it just really matters. Like what I want to like spend all my time and all my energy actually, like what, what do I want to invest all of that into? And the only thing that's really worth it is something that I'm really passionate about. So I just, I came back to photography and was really glad that I did. And then, um, I also minored in, um, Africana studies, which also completely shifted my, well, it didn't shift my perspective, but it did like fill in the gaps of, it answered a lot of questions for me. Like um, in my black psychology class, like I wanted to take black psychology uh, at a community college when I was in high school. And the, um, the advisor then advised me not to. And I was, she was like, cause you're already taking psychology class. Why do you need to take black psychology? And uh, when I got there, like, it really, <laughs> really matters. It, like, the whole, the whole like, um, foundation of the class was understanding that there is no universal psychology and the fact that Black people have a completely different experience than, like, the rest of America, like, influences their psychology. And that was, like, like that can just be applied across so many other um so many other subjects and so many other just like facets of life. Like that, that was kind of like the deciding, I was like, okay, I need to dive deeper into, um, into these studies. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I landed um, where I did when I ended. And um, I guess I'm just like constantly trying to figure out like what, what my voice is, what my like, um, I don't like the word pitch, but like what, like if I were to explain like what my photography means or what I want to do with photography or like what, how I want to like contribute to the world or even like, you know, our community, um, I'm trying to, I'm still trying to build that out, but I know it has, it's like, it's definitely a combination of the things that I've studied and um, just like shedding a, a, a light on our community from, um, from our perspective, like so much of our, so much of um, what is seen in the media and what is seen in, of us is like, not even from us. Like, <laughs> it's like taking, you know, like just taking back that voice and, um, and, and like, and like saying like, this is what I think black beauty is. This is what I think. Um, this is, this is how I feel about us. And, you know, I guess like taking agency in that matter. But I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, I'm still trying to, like, work out how to make that not a five-sentence thing. (laughs) But, yeah. I so relate to that in terms of just kind of 
wanting to make sure that what you produce is counter to to the imagery or kind of the world of cultural products that are is that are representing black people that weren't necessarily even written or imagined by black people and i think that's something that is, i feel like a lot of black creatives and not even necessarily creatives but like just black people in america are constantly grappling with of the kind of like how do i stand in my truth and you know like live the life I want to live in the face of a lot of imagery, some of which is, is received imagery that's like people are still chipping away at and learning to question that's, that's actually been produced to keep us uh, subjugated or in a space of um, marginality. And so I just, I so relate to that. I mean, I think a big part of why I persisted in ballet was, was an issue of representation because, you know, I grew up looking at magazines to try to learn about this form that was so fascinating to me. And I really didn't see myself like, unless I, I mean, in a human way, yes, I saw other human beings. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yes. I saw other women, but women of color, not even just black women. Like it was, it's such a white space. And especially when I was coming up, a lot Mm -hmm. of the material I was looking at was like older. Like I would read, I was really wanting to learn like, Mm -hmm. well, what, what does it mean to be a ballet dancer? And if you only to look at the visual iconography, it was clearly coded so white, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and not even just white, right. but like a very specific way of being white. And so it's just a very, very exclusive space. Mm-hmm. And so I felt mm-hmm. like the older I got and the more self-aware I became and the less it was even just about my enjoyment of, of dancing and my sense that like, oh, I have this talent that I think I need to to hone. It also was kind of like, it's mm-hmm. even just me being in this space that has been reserved for like a specific type of white woman for centuries, just existing in this space and um, mm-hmm. succeeding is a form of being revolutionary and is a kind of imagery that I want to be yeah, able right. to present as a way of being a black woman. Like this is, this is an option. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that that was, that became increasingly important to mm-hmm. me and to this day is very important to me. It's one of the reasons I am really adamant about mm-hmm. teaching being in a space where um other and it doesn't have to be other young black women it can be anyone who feels like somehow excluded from from the conversation can see me and say like okay like she found a way Mm -hmm. into this where everything Mm -hmm. was telling her not to to join the the conversation Mm -hmm. everything was telling her that the party Mm -hmm. was not for her like that she wasn't invited Um, and yet and yet she's taken something from this form and kind of decoupled it from this um, cultural messaging and just made it about the art. And so I think that's mm-hmm. something that um, I feel like is really powerful in photography as well in terms of just how do you how do you frame your subject matter in such a way that you are kind of taking a conversation that has been mainly held by like, let's face it, white men and like a specific kind of white mm-hmm. man for the majority of the mm-hmm. history of this form and kind of change it so that that voice is specific to you and enter that conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it's just such a, it's difficult, but it's so nourishing to continue to work in that direction. So I applaud you that you're mm-hmm. like, I'm really trying to hone this, this voice because it's like, it's a life's work. <laughs> you know, It's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I love that. And it's so it's just it's just crazy how um 
how your presence alone is already already the act of like pushing towards what you want to see like Mm -hmm. you don't you don't have to like you know I mean protesting is one thing but like that Mm -hmm. in itself just being there just like occupying space in in a predominantly white space is is the is the protest is the pushback is the mm-hmm. like no I'm here like the, that that mm-hmm. in itself is um such a huge step so I love that yeah I mean right back at you I mean I'm really curious I I'd love to hear also kind of curious about you know like there's so many different ways that you um exist as a as a photographer both like you know videographer photography all these ways that that you interact with um that part of your identity Mm -hmm. and I'm curious if there's like a way that feels like really like oh this is the thing I like to do the most like that I really love taking these type of photos or is it just kind of like Mm -hmm. the entire experience feels like this is me this is Amaya um I mean I think I'm like really attracted to film photography there's just something Mm. that it just has like so much soul Mm -hmm. um and just the just the whole process of it alone gives the work so much like an extra layer of depth I feel like Mm. um so I would say that that's what I resonate most with and um as far as video I guess I'm still trying to find like the the sweet spot for that because I've I've done so like I've done shorts and I've done like promotional videos and interviews and different things and there's definitely a category for like commercial things that I will do video for to make money and then and and that's what it's been mostly these days so it's hard to it's hard to um look back at it and be like okay what how like find like that's where that's why I like started in video first um and it's hard to like like dig through all the commercial stuff and and what what I've used it for up until this day and like find like what where I was passionate like what made me passionate about video and I guess it it just comes back to like storytelling and like being able to create a story from nothing um but what what kind of like shifted me to photography was just being able to be more independent with that storytelling because it seemed like going down the path of filmmaking and shorts making and everything like that um would just mean like working on bigger production sets and like I just didn't I couldn't I couldn't see the I couldn't see a clear path to like how just like how you keep your vision alive or like how um I didn't I don't know just like how that how that operates I guess I was just like intimidated by um the idea of working on larger production production sets but um I mean Lewis is just like diving headfirst into this stuff and it's it's making me be like okay maybe maybe you just like research more about it and just like take it baby step by baby step and just like maybe it's not that scary maybe there are ways where you can like create your own um create just like what works for you and and collaborate on the scale that you want to um and so that's exciting and and like I'm just like figuring out the path of video again alongside with him, which is, which has been really nice and helpful. (laughs) Actually, that kind of brings me to another question I have for you, Amaya. And that is just, you know, what's, what is it like to have both a partner in life and a partner in your creative endeavors? And like, how does, how do you balance the two of kind of like 
okay, we're learning together about these things that are going to further our artistic identities, both separately and together. And then also like, where do you draw the line of like, we don't want this to affect our relationship, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it... <laughs> no, I mean, it's been an amazing journey. Like, I'm just like so lucky that I have someone that I can I can collaborate with artistically and on a personal level and um we just like we just get each other so well and and we're you know we're continuing to learn about each other um but just the fact that i i mean i can see how it can <laughs> just our personalities are are very different but they work really well together and we're like it's it's a good it's a good formula it's a good sauce that we have going the fact that like just considering our personalities and the fact that we um, collaborate on pretty much all all facets of life, um, it's been it's been working out really well. I mean, it, I mean, it does like there has been times where we get too business minded and like completely forget about like our we we're not like nurturing our relationship because we're all we're just like always like we need to figure this out. We're like <laughs> we're on to you know making contracts and like you know doing this and that and just like wait but we're also in a relationship like it it is interesting to have to like kind of like set set apart time for personal things and then um time for um you know business um but it's just an ebb and flow um like when we when we got this house together that that completely shifted things to mostly personal and just like collaborating in that space instead and like working on house projects and just figuring out what we what we want from this and like what what just planning for the future and things but um it's been it's been an interesting ride it's been it's been a really great ride with um ups and downs but mostly just like if it if there's ups and downs it's mostly like a gradual incline (laughs) like still on the rise so yeah I love that a gradual incline I'm I like that I like that a lot I was also, you'd mentioned, um, I'm still thinking about all the things you told me about yourself, and I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but I have to respect the like framework of the podcast. <laughs> we have to schedule just like coffee, just Zoom each other. Yeah. Somehow. Oh, I um, love that. Yeah. Yes, let's do it. Um, but I, I am curious, because I know um, you'd mentioned you spent some time traveling, um, traveling in Europe. So was that over the course of a summer, or what? what um, encourage you to take that trip and what did it end up looking like I'm just curious yeah oh that trip um <laughs> it so I <laughs> I wanted to go because I had um there was an exchange student from Belgium um that mm. I'd met in high school and we just like became such fast friends like she was mm. she was <laughs> hilarious <laughs> and then um my friend who was also in digital media um the exchange student her name is Martha she she um, joined the digital media class and me and my other friend and her were like the trio like the old kid the older kids of the class and like we just kind of did uh, all kinds of photo fun photo stuff together and um we're friends like long after high school um and so I wanted to go visit her and then my other friend Isaac who was in digital media um he uh, studied abroad in Europe and um, visited her and like, you know, had his own adventure. And so I was like, oh, we should all, th- like, 
me and Isaac, we should go to Europe and visit Martha and like, you know, see all the rest of the people that he, he'd met at that time. Mm. And uh, Isaac ended up dropping out and that was fine. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go by myself then. I'm still going to make this happen. Like I'm going to take all my savings that I have. That I have. I, I, throughout high school, I was like, um, I worked as a, uh, a princess, like doing uh, magic shows and face oh, painting and puppet so shows cute. and stuff. And like, I made some, <laughs> I made some change on the weekends, and so mm. I had all I had all that saved up, and um, just was like, okay, let's go. This is this is what I'm gonna do. I like I double majored photography and art history, so that was kind of part of it too. Mm. It was like it'd be cool yeah. to see these things that we learned about um, in mm. person, and so yeah, that that's kind of what fueled it, and it was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. Like it was so cheap to fly around and like take the train to different countries and stuff, and like the food is amazing, and like you know all that all that like romanticized um, ideas of Europe there are true <laughs> um, when you're traveling there. But also, I mean, there was the other side of it. Like there was a lot of a lot of frustrating things that happened over there. Um, I just remember like being in France and there was um, some just like a lot of like Sambo imagery around and like people didn't think like anything of it. I stayed at an Airbnb and the, the hosts were super sweet and they just like had this image of this like black faced person with, you know, like the giant red lips and on their on their kitchen walls. I mean, I didn't start up a conversation about it, but it's just like those those things like they're small, but they do sting. And then my mom, um, my mom ended up coming out for a couple weeks too, and she she faced a lot more like microaggressions than I did. Um, that influenced her time. Um, I think it was we were in Italy somewhere, and she was like tr- just trying to shop places, and like she couldn't get any help, and you know stuff like that, which was really bad. There, I had a taxi driver that tried to like reach out and like squish <laughs> my hair. I was like, oh, oh no, not happening. <laughs> not happening. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Just like just little things like that, and um, I, I mean, I could I could go on and on about like the places in Northern Europe, like they're they're the they're the worst of it. But oh no. Um, besides that, like it's still like that was part of the experience, but like at the same time, like there there was some really magical magical parts of just like just like feeling free and just like you know skipping through cobblestone alleyways and and eating pizza and having bottles of wine and stuff like that too so it was just the ups and downs of it and Mm -hmm. I just feel like Lewis isn't interested in going to Europe and I do want to show him because I want to like it's such a it is such a romantic place and I want to go with Mm -hmm. him but he's just like I don't there's no reason for me to go over there like I already I Mm. he like he already has this idea of like what it'll be but I feel like like letting already letting that stop you from like seeing parts of the world is like Mm -hmm. some like having that win in some way you know like you still should be able to like go in and enjoy yourself in these places um Mm -hmm. but I think he's warming up to it yeah 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 I mean I hope I I hope that he can because I know he's such an avid traveler find an mm-hmm. angle where it's like feels worthwhile to him because I know I mean I lived in Europe for about a year and for sure some of the things mm-hmm. you're mentioning I really ran into what felt like it's probably just because I'm acclimated to like the aspects mm-hmm. of how the U.S. are racist like and had kind of like developed um my my coping mechanisms for 
U.S. the U.S. brand, which mm -hmm. is, is has a lot of regional flavors. Like I'm not going to pretend mm -hmm, like we mm -hmm. just import one product, um, right. Or export, <laughs> import. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. But it just it was really interesting because most of the time I was in Europe, I the apartment I found was in in Paris, so it was like mm -hmm. my home base was France. But I moved around in Europe, and there were some moments where I was like, "This is such like there's like." this is the most unvarnished racism ever. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. kind of like not even slightly hidden. Like, yeah. Oh, well, sorry. I'm like not trying to offend you. It's like, I don't even care. Boom. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> At the same time as you could kind of see that a lot of what, where this was coming from, like the intention didn't hold malice. It was just so mm -hmm. deeply embedded that there is mm -hmm. the, the, like this, this version of racism in this space mm -hmm. that I think the, the, I can tell you also a whole bunch of stories. Yeah. Um, but like these moments where I was just kind of like, okay, okay. And I mean, and one of the things I found really interesting because when I went over there, not surprisingly, I was dancing and I did interact with, you know, other dancers of color. Mm. And I felt like, I mean, what's complex about Paris is that um, like the actual kind of almost like birthplace of ballet is Versailles. So it's like, right, you know, 45 mm. minutes outside of the city. So they do have this really long-standing, deep, traditional relationship to this art form. So um, mm -hmm. with that comes, I think, both a lot of pride in like how they approach mm -hmm. it. And then also, I think, even more intense gatekeeping than you might find mm -hmm. at like, mm -hmm. a local ballet school in right. the Bay Area, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the reason I, I went to France was I had a friend who danced for the Paris Opera Ballet and so she helped me to get an apartment so it was like that was where I had my entryway but I just kind of I remember talking to um like some dancers who took ballet class but they did other forms of dance or they were just kind of like doing dancing more kind of just for their spirit and to to enjoy themselves mm -hmm. and two beautiful black women dancing were basically like I knew because I was black I couldn't do ballet like they mm -hmm. just like kind of like felt mm -hmm. like they were automatically the door was closed to them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I hear that mentality of kind of like I I see this world and the world looks this way and I automatically know I'm not invited in and mm -hmm. it really broke my heart because it's yeah. like okay I feel like I I had to push against a lot to get to a place where I did ultimately have a professional career in ballet. I'm still mm -hmm. currently having a professional mm -hmm. career in ballet. And I felt like there were moments when people essentially told me like, oh, don't do this. And the mm -hmm. underlying idea was it's because you're black, you shouldn't do this, not because mm -hmm. I wasn't talented enough mm -hmm. or whatever. It's just like purely that. Right. And so to hear people who like believed that and let that actually kind of rearrange the course of their life really was galling. But I felt mm -hmm. like, okay, my time in Paris, if I'd grown up in this space, I too might have had like yeah. that feeling because there, there right. were like just a kind of a different inflection on the way people were treated that, you know, because I was coming from a, 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 like an outsider's context, it was more shocking to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure someone coming to the US from France would also see things that they'd find really shocking. But there were just some moments where I was like, oh, hot damn. Like, it was almost funny because it was so extreme and just so, like, are you kidding? Like, I remember there is this uh, grocery store, um, like, pretty close to where I live, so I would go pretty frequently, so mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they'd seen me before, and at that already at that time, you couldn't use reusable bags, so you bring your own bag. 
And I remember the I was leaving the store and the like one of the people working there was like, Oh, I have to check your bag, ma'am. And I was like, Well, this is the only bag I have. My groceries are gonna be in it. Um, but uh-huh. and the person doing this was another black person. And I just kind of like had to mm. stop because I'd only been living there for about two weeks or something. It was a very, very fresh kind of transplant and I felt really bereft because mm. I actually like moved there I had a visa to live there for a year so it didn't feel kind of like mm. I'm visiting I was like this is like my home for mm-hmm. a while mm-hmm. and right. so I had to I had to tell this person and I'm sure it came across strangely because you know like I was not fluent in French I'm still not fluent but I was like I'm gonna tell you to the best mm. of my ability like the way mm. that this comes across mm-hmm. is so disturbing because I saw so mm-hmm. many other people leave this store why was it me specifically right. that you chose to stop? And, you know, like, mm-hmm. in my whole life in the US, this has never happened to me. In my first two weeks in France, this is happening mm-hmm. to me. And I'm just letting mm-hmm. you know how it comes across as a, as a black, you know, um, kind of a black person not, who's not French coming to this country and understanding what it means to be black mm-hmm. in France to this other black person. And they basically said, I'm just trying to prepare you for what it's like. And I was like, oh, ooh, that's not good. What? Also, like, what are you going to find? Like some yogurt and a tomato and my receipt. Hello. Like, it just was so, so it was really <laughs> sad because I felt like there was already this what? kind of downtrodden, like, the best I can expect for is something diminished. Like, these women who are like, I can't do ballet. Or, like, you should expect to get racially yeah. profiled. And it's just so, like, that yeah. really hurts my heart. And I don't want Lewis to think, like, yeah. I can't go to this country because – or I can't go to countries in mm-hmm. Europe because I feel like it's kind of mm-hmm. embedded in that kind of mentality of like, I'm already being restricted. Therefore yeah. I'm just going to accept this. I'm like, no, yeah. you go, you travel to Europe. No, right. you go and you do ballet. Yes. If you want to do ballet. I'm going to buy my tomatoes. If I want to buy my tomatoes. So I just feel like anytime I see a person of color accepting limitations, I always kind of wonder like, how much of that is them feeling beaten down by what they've seen versus what's actually like genuinely inside of their heart. And so I'm always suspicious and I'm always on the side of like, you do the thing, you go and do the thing. Okay. (laughs) So maybe we can take it. Exactly. Exactly. We're just going to like be like, Oh, we're just going to Seattle (laughs) and fly all the way to like Brussels or something. I don't know. We're going to surprise them. Right. But, yeah yeah I'm telling you (laughs) yeah that's so I mean that's so true because that's just like those institutions really really like doing what they were made to do yeah oppressing and like like you're not even letting them tell you no at that point like you're doing it for yourself and like it's just right very disturbing crazy yeah. Oh, I'm sure you have so many stories. Oh man, like too but many. Like, how is your no overall, one needs to know? Overall time there. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, <laughs> honestly, Amaya, it's interesting because I think what influenced what influenced me to want to go to Europe. I mean, it was there's just there are so many different threads kind of involved in that decision. That you know, if I were to look back at it now. I'm really glad I went, but I don't know that I would have done it in the way that I did mm-hmm. it or if I were to repeat it. And I think part of what happened mm-hmm. is that when I was in college in my junior year, I got uh, the opportunity to travel abroad or study abroad. And that was amazing because I'd never left the country before. And that experience um, was not in Europe. I was in 
Brazil and South Africa and Vietnam. So I was in all of these countries that were majority, you know, mm. people of color, the global South. So just very different contexts and very different histories than, you know, mm-hmm. the European continent. <laughs> but I just kind of felt like, oh man, I got this taste for travel that was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And my wanderlust was always already quite powerful even before I'd had that opportunity. So I really was like yeah. trying to seek out any way to continue to travel um, in a way that I could afford. So when I was graduating from school, um, I applied for all these different things that would allow me to travel. And so the reason mm. I was even able to to take that trip is because I did get a grant to go um, and stu- and live abroad. I didn't technically have to study, um, but I did have mm-hmm. to kind of like establish mm an interest in the particular country or some kind of connection. And since I already spoke French and like I am a dancer and I knew that there was a lot of opportunity to train as a dancer Mm -hmm. in France and I had some connections there, that was the country I chose just because there's kind of no other place outside of the U.S. where I really felt like I had um, enough of a a network. And granted, it was a very, very thin network, I'm saying. It wasn't like much to rely on, but it was more than I had anywhere (laughs) else. and. Also, like, I had some language skills, so I was like, okay, I'll try this. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, I think I I think I, I, I still hold to this, that I want to believe there's nowhere on this planet that's, like, barred to me. I don't want to experience the world from a place of, of yes. fear or anticipation of retribution, whether that's through racism or sexism or what, what have you. Um, but if I had like mm-hmm. just done kind mm-hmm. of this kind of like, where will I go and feel like the most comfortable? It probably wasn't going to be Paris. <laughs> it's just that I didn't want to feel limited. And I'd spent so much of my life up to that point, kind of like pushing against the grain of like entering into these spaces that some of them were like really like subtly coded, but coded as like white only really, honestly, a lot of very elite spaces that had mm-hmm. traditionally mm-hmm. been built to support the lives of, of, privileged white people and I was like well I'm here too hello Mm -hmm. so I wasn't really like super stressed Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. it because I'd been doing that my whole life um but I'd never really done that in a context where I was completely alone outside of my um language context because I spoke French I understood French but I was not fluent um Mm-hmm. And I was also not in school and I wasn't employed and I couldn't legally work. I was, I had a long stay visa, which is like this weird in between where you're, it's fine for you to be there, but you can't take, take, um, a job unless that job sponsors your visa to be a, an actual resident. Mm-hmm. So it was this weird space mm-hmm. where it's like every other time I had been really like forced to face that amount of challenge. I at least had my family or like, some project that I was involved in, whether that was school or like some intense amount of dancing so that I was like, my energies Mm -hmm. were at least harnessed. (laughs) And so it was just like, Mm -hmm. if I were to do it again, I wish I'd had a little bit more community or I'd had like some kind of job I could do legally or even under the table so that I might, Mm -hmm. I would had like something using Mm -hmm. up my time. Cause I just got, I had too much free time. I know that sounds like in a way really nice, Mm -hmm. but it was a little too much. And I just, had too much time yeah. to reflect on the state of the world, which yeah, yeah. was not always great. Right, right, um, yeah. <laughs> but on another level, it's like it was such a privilege that I was able to live um, outside of the U.S. with a stipend that was being provided for me with a certain amount of safety net because I was on this grant, and with the amount of free time and the amount of kind of like um, 
just range of motion to not feel like, oh, I have this program that I have to like come back to. I literally could do whatever I wanted. And so I'm also glad I'm a goody two shoes because that could have gone really Mm -hmm. wrong. But all I wanted to do was take dance class and like cook. And so that's basically (laughs) like what I did. And it was really, really empowering also. I mean, I really like all I want to do is like fry beans and like jump around. But um (laughs) but it was really nice to also have the opportunity as a young woman, and I, I relate to what you're saying when you're saying like just traveling around was was so inexpensive to like just up and go to another mm-hmm. country and just mm-hmm. um, have, like move mm-hmm. freely in all of these different cities and all these different countries um, purely for the experience of kind of like expanding my my uh, expanding myself and understanding the world better and that is just so. Mm-hmm. so privileged it's such a privilege um and I wish it was available to mm-hmm. more people because it really helped me to feel more solid within myself just because I was seeing more of the world and understanding myself in relationship to so many different contexts and having to kind of fend for myself mm-hmm. sounds a little extreme but like kind of sometimes yes fending for myself understanding how to take care of myself in contexts where yeah. I didn't have much uh um of a kind of sense of comfort because it was like I didn't speak the language I didn't necessarily know where I was going Mm -hmm. like I was heading to a lot of not really like intense auditions but I did a lot of company classes with um you know companies I would have loved to have worked with just kind of to get a sense of what these companies work with so there was like a certain amount of nerves and pressure involved in a lot of Mm -hmm. it and just like learning how to to manage all that I think was really really useful um, I think I overdid it because when I came home, I was like, yeah. done. I was so exhausted. It took me like months to recuperate from that. <laughs> um, oh, <no. laughs> but, and I think I also, because I was living alone and I wanted to kind of like protect myself yeah. in this, the sense that I understood how to do that, I was like a little over serious and maybe mm-hmm. could have had more fun or like mm-hmm. allowed more people to be my friends. But I was mm-hmm. like, don't come for me. Ah, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean I probably would do it a little differently for sure. Um at this age, but you do what you do with the information you have, you know. Yeah. And like I was only 22, so I didn't know what I was doing, but I was doing the best I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad I got to do it. I, it was maybe too much for me at the time. I think I could have done it at a pace and in a way that was kinder to myself but I also think I felt like I had to prove something or uh achieve something mm-hmm. I'd come out of this like really really high pressure academic environment um at Harvard where it just felt mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. everyone was incredible every like you couldn't turn and look at mm-hmm. someone and be like oh that's that's fine that's boring like everyone was like oh I just I just discovered a new star and I'm like oh my god like you know so like I kind of felt like oh if I do this, it has to be like the best and the most interesting and I have to like really achieve something mm-hmm. and I think I was still really influenced mm-hmm. by that mentality even though I was free of that environment it still kind of infiltrated the way that mm-hmm. I was moving through the world in a way that I don't mm. think was healthy. Like no one really cared. No, one, there was no one like mm. tracking me to be like, "Are you doing the best?" <laughs> <laughs> you know? like, but I think I it still was like uh-huh, kind of holding uh-huh, on to uh-huh. that. Yeah. And so, I'm glad I had that experience. It was hard. I did experience a lot of racism and sexism and just really weird encounters yeah. where it was just really clear that people had a preformed idea of who I was that actually had so little to do with anything uh-huh. that I'm about or who I am. Um, and it just, it was revelatory because I think I was a little bit sheltered in a lot of spaces where 
I was surrounded by very loving parents and often encouraged, like enough encouraging teachers to like mm-hmm. drown out the ones who were discouraging. And so that I kind of could feel like, oh, I'm special, like mm-hmm. I matter. And entering into these spaces where people really kind of were like, you got to prove yourself just to exist in this space was, you know, like kind of useful to a certain mm-hmm. extent. As much as it was a hard lesson. It was useful. Again, so long-winded. I'm done. <laughs> no, not at all. Don't ever apologize for that. Like the like just the way you like tell your story. I don't know. I'm just like so I'm so like um absorbed into into your storytelling. So don't don't That's ever so apologize kind. for that. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Right back at you. I feel like I'm with you. Um wait, can I I have um two percent left on my laptop. <laughs> Um, let me let me go grab my charger really quick before we cut off. Oh my gosh, Pat, we're talking so much. You have to tell us when to stop. Okay. No. This is one of I think Amy's talents is she just creates these these spaces where all of the people surrounding her are so fascinating mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. awesome. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I want to talk to everyone. Yeah. I don't, you know. Totally. Where were you all my life? Thank you, Amy, for connecting us, you know? So I'm just, I am a little starstruck and oh. excited. So I'm like, oh my gosh, we're getting to actually connect. Oh. Um, yeah. Oh. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, same. I, Amy, Amy's been talking about you, too, and, like, wanting wanting us to connect, too. So I'm like, I'm so glad this has <laughs> finally happened. But yeah. I, I'm so, so glad we got to connect. It feels like just like the tip of the iceberg and the beginning, but... For our listeners, I think we should show some grace and be like, okay. (laughs) I forgot people are actually going to be listening to this. I know, me too. I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring Your Full Self is put together through the collective effort of the members of Converge Collaborative. A special thanks today to Coral and Amaya and to you for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our group, our work, or would just like to say hi, you can reach us by emailing converge at convergecollaborative.com or on Instagram at convergecollaborative.